Hello, and welcome to Ryan O'Brien's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan O'Brien, and this is episode number 25. This week, Brian and I are continuing our conversation from last week about the word justification and what it could mean. We didn't get the opportunity last week to jump into scripture, so this week, that's what we're doing. We're jumping right into scripture, into Romans chapter 8, and looking at justification in that context. There's a lot we talk about, uh, a lot to think about. Again, we realize for some that this might be a controversial topic, but the bistro, again, is a place for conversation, and a conversation is what we are having. We hope you get something out of it, and maybe it helps you think about the word justification a little bit differently. Before we jump into this episode, we have a quick announcement. Next week is episode 26, which means we've been at this podcast for six months, which I'll be honest, seems a little crazy. And if you've been with us from the very beginning, thank you. We really appreciate it. But it also means that the Bistro is finding its way to YouTube. That's right. All you raving fans out there, we've taken your words, we've listened to them, and you're going to get to see our faces every Tuesday morning on YouTube. Nothing's going to change. You can still listen to the podcast just as you are right now on your favorite podcast app, but we're also adding YouTube for some of those folks out there who don't listen to podcasts, but will watch a video. So maybe you'd like to check us out there, share it with a friend who might watch a YouTube video, but not listen to a podcast. So uh, you're going to get to see us and it's going to be amazing. So (laughs) that's another option for you starting next week. All right. Well, I think that's about all I have to say for today. So let's go ahead and jump into this episode, uh, which is number 25, looking at justification in Romans chapter 8. Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm great. You know, I'm well, I'm getting a little hungry, though. Oh, a little bit. It's we about, were talking about lunch. and I well, That's think why you come to the Bistro is for it a is, lunch. It is. Uh, but I'm feasting on knowledge. Okay. And... I can only feast so long on knowledge before I actually get <laughs> You need food. something to eat, right? Before I need something to eat. Right. Well, so, you know, the brain kind of soaks up the nourishment and... This is... There's too much symbolism here. We're oh, taking okay. the, stretching okay. the metaphor too okay. far here. Anyway. So anyway, so what do you want to talk about here? Okay, so kind of the reason this podcast began is you asking me questions about justification because you'd read Tom Wright's book on justification. Yes. We've talked about that a little bit, kind of introduced we, the topic. We skipped off the surface of it <laughs> just like as much of a glancing blow as you can get. Well, and and after that episode, what I mentioned is that, you know, it'd be good to kind of just dig into a text. Yes. And, and you know, one of the main ones for, for Wright uh, when he's writing about it, in Galatians, he says that's the first place that Paul really talks about this topic, justification. That's the first place he mentions this word. Yes. Um, and so that would be some place to go. But then the book of Romans, it's a little bit more complex in terms of Paul explaining it. It's, it, you know, Romans in some ways is a very tight, coherent argument in a way that some of Paul's other epistles are not. Mm-hmm. And so I thought we might go to Romans chapter 8 and look a little bit there about what it says about justification. And before we do that, for those okay. that haven't listened to our previous sure. episode on justification, this is like the highest level. Just to give you a rundown <laughs> so you don't feel like, what conversation did I jump into the middle of? Basically, the book uh, that I write was called The Justification by Tom Wright. And basically saying that the word justify or justification in scripture means more about being part of the covenant community, not necessarily something about 
forgiveness of sins or anything right. like that. Right. You know, and and I think it's really hard. It, and like you said, it is kind of a complex topic, but we, we kind of laid it out there that there are two main ways to look at this. One is that this is kind of a judicial term. Justification is a judicial term. And I'll say this. I and, mean, and explain what you mean by judicial term. It, it's, it's the kind of word you use in a courtroom. Okay. Uh, and there's lots of language that has to do with that idea of, of a courtroom imagery. Now, I'll come back to that in just a minute. Let me let me uh, say, though, that I think Wright has been misunderstood, and he he's not denying that the word is used in that way. But what he's saying is that when we take it too far in that direction, we are losing some aspects of what Paul is talking about in the whole argument. Losing a little bit of the nuance. I think so. And so he would say it is it, it does have to do with the idea of courtroom, of being declared not guilty, but it also has to do with the people, the covenant people, and what kind of person is it that can be declared not guilty. Mm. And part of what Paul is, you know, Paul's very big concern was it wasn't just the Jewish people, but it was also the Gentiles, that that Christ had come to be, Jesus had come to be the Christ, the Messiah of not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And almost every context that we see this idea of justification, it's followed up with. Is it is is God just the God of the Jews, but also yeah. not only the Gentiles? Yeah. It's and and his ideas no, it's not just it was not just this idea of this covenant people, but this covenant was extended to to all people. Uh, same thing in Romans. We're gonna look at chapter eight, where it talks a lot about justification. And I'll say earlier in Romans chapter five. Paul lays that, begins the discussion, I would say, there of justification in, in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 4, he, he talks about the law and what's the nature of the law. Chapter 5, he talks about justification. And then he gets on this little kind of excursus about what, where do we find ourselves? What, what state do we find ourselves in? And famously, you know, Romans chapter 7 ha- has this whole idea about what a miserable person I am because, I, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. This is how chapter 7 ends up. The very things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, the things I do. What a miserable man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this? And then the answer is Jesus, right? Yes. Then Romans 8. He kind of comes back to that idea then of justification and begins to lay it out a little bit more. And so that's why I thought we'd start at the beginning of Romans 8 and kind of see where it, where it went. Yeah, sounds good. So let, let me kind of just lead us through this. And I'm going to read from the NIV. It, it really, you know, we've talked about the version some. It really doesn't matter which version you use here. I just am most familiar with the NIV. This is the 2011 version. So chapter 8, verse 1 Paul, again, has just laid out this idea uh, of our, our sinfulness and that we're slaves to sin. And then he says in verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I would say that's kind of his thesis statement for what's about to come. Now, condemnation is an interesting word. It, 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 in Greek, it's katakrima. Katakrino is the, is the verb form. So krino means to judge. And kata is kind of a, I- emphatic. So to completely judge, we might say gotcha. something like that. So if, if you think about this, and again, I'm going to use the courtroom metaphor. If we use a courtroom and we think about somebody who is condemned, mm-hmm. that means that they have been accused of a crime, that they have been judged, mm-hmm. they have been found guilty and, right. and sentenced. Okay, that, that's kind of the whole... We've gone through the whole process. They, are, they now stand condemned. But... Paul goes back and he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's kind of that overarching kind of thing. Those who are in Christ Jesus, in in Jesus the Messiah, who are in relationship with him, we might say, 
are, are no longer condemned. They no longer stand in that guilty sentence state. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I probably shouldn't even say state. That's that's really what Wright is arguing with as much as the courtroom metaphor. He's arguing with this idea. This isn't just about the idea of salvation. We, we've almost equated being justified and being saved. And, and what I think Wright would say is that justification is an aspect of it's salvation. a part of salvation, but it's not the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not kind of a I've used the term of flip a switch being flipped before. You know, it's not it's not that kind of on off. Am I saved, not saved? You know, it's not that kind of an issue, but it's saying that in Christ we have been declared not guilty is is the way we might put that. But then it also means something about the kind of person, the kind of community that we are we are part of. Uh, we are now part of God's people. How it has historically been has been much more of the justification and salvation are almost intertwined. We are all interested in this to a certain extent, but there have been theologians who are very interested with exactly at what moment, what is necessary in order to be in right standing with God. Like, and, what, what's the moment I've got the yeah, full assurance? And, and the you know, it, it, what's the order of salvation? In what order do these things take place? And that's where this idea of justification has sometimes kind of taken on a life of its own, so to speak. So I think what Tom Wright's trying to do is to bring it back within a, a bigger discussion of what Paul is talking about, which is what does it mean to be a part of the new community of God? That to be a part of this community, absolutely, we are now, I mean, the forgiveness of sins is a part of this, and and, and we are now made a part of God's people, but not because of something we have done, as Paul says, but but because of what Christ Jesus has done. So let, let's look at this. There's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he uses these two because statements in a row. The, the Greek word's gar here. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit, and, and here the NIV says who gives life, literally the spirit of life, okay? The spirit of life um, has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there's a contrast here in the law. And again, Paul's talked about the law already in, in chapter four. Now, there, there are some people today who then kind of criticize, criticize not exactly the right word, but they look at what Paul says about the law here and they take it as something that it's being, it's being done away with. The law is kind of obsolete. Right. Uh, it no longer pertains. It no longer has any influence. But really what Paul is contrasting here is the law of the, the spirit of life with the law of sin and death, okay? Because the problem with the law, is he's going to say it here in just a minute, is that it makes us aware of our sin. Of our sin. And we need to talk about what sin means. So sin and death, because death is going to follow. Again, this is Paul, every time he talks about this, sin is what separates us from the giver of life. In this case, the spirit spirit of God, right? What separates us from the giver of life is that we have rebelled against him. Okay. So let's, let's go a little bit further. So because through Jesus Christ Jesus, this is why we have no condemnation. The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin of death. For what the law was powerless to do, or, or I would translate it this way, what, what the law could not do, okay? Now, this was not, and this is, this is where we get into a little bit of a difference. The, the defect is not the law, okay? And, and I'm going to tell you what I, what I understand the law in the Old Testament to be is a way of describing and a way of explaining to us God's nature and character, mm. 
Okay. I've said this before, and, and, and this is so important, I think, to understand anything about what it means to be, if we want to use the word saved or to be a part of God's people, mm-hmm. is we have to understand what the nature of sin is. And what I would understand sin to be is to be opposed to the nature of God. Yeah. I mean, which is kind of a radical idea. Well, we, for we, some, we, we think of sin as almost having a character or life of its own, but in a sense, sin is, I, I always say, an absence. It's a taking away. So God is good, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? There is no shadow of evil or changing in him. There's nothing in him. He, he is by nature good, or, or I might even say it this way, good is good because it is God's nature, right? That's, right. Yes. that's why it's good. There's no standard by which we can judge the eternal creator God. Mm-hmm. What are you going to compare him to? <laughs> right? Yes. Right? Who, yeah, who, he is the standard pair. What, exactly. What yardstick do we use to measure God's goodness, right? He is good, you know, ontologically, yes. you know, in his being. By he his is, very nature. By his he, very nature, he is good. Right. Sin is not something that the community has yes, just created. I don't to think like, so. To beh- we want you to behave this way. No, no, no. This is what well, has come from God and saying, this is this is who I am. So so sin, yeah, sin is that which is opposed to his nature. So I always use this example, you know, lying is a sin because God is truth. Okay, so to lie is to be opposed to his nature. Uh, adultery is a sin because God is faithful. God keeps his vows. Yeah. Right. When he says it, it's going to happen. And so when we fail to keep our vows, we are opposed to his nature. We, we, we are not living up to a standard or, or, you know, what's, what's Paul's word in, in Romans? He says, all have fallen short of the glory of God, mm-hmm. right? None of us are able to attain his nature. Okay. But sin is sin because it's, a, it's opposed to him, to who he is. So, you know, because he is radically holy, he can have nothing to do with with that, right? So so here's the idea. The law was powerless. This is verse three. The law could not do this because it was weakened by what's your translation? By the flesh. Okay. So the problem was not the law. The law is a description of God's nature. The problem is us. It's as our flesh. Our we are unable to keep the law. We're unable to do the things that are in keeping with God's nature. Let me go back to this idea of the law as a description of God's nature. Because I, I know there's some people, and, and, and again, you got to understand the law is complicated. The law in the Old Testament is complicated because it was also the rule of the community, if you will. Here's what God's people look like, and here's, you know, part of it was in a, opposed to the nations around them, and part of it was how do we live as a community together. But I'm going to tell you, even those, I think, give us an, a, an indication about what is is God's nature, what God is really concerned about, the kind of things that he considers to be important. The one I always use as an example of this, and I don't know if this is a good example or not, but you remember... We'll you, find out. Yeah, I guess we will. <laughs> you remember in the Old Testament, it says, you, you will not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Yes. A, you know, a baby goat in its mother's milk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, that's a kosher law, and so right. there's lots of things. This is why you can't find a cheeseburger Burr. in... in Israel. Great. Much to my dismay when I'm there. <laughs> you can't find a pepperoni pizza, right? Yeah. So so they would say you don't mix cheese and, and meat is, is mm-hmm. the upshot. I don't think that's the primary thing. So milk is what a mother uses in order to sustain her, her child, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's a life-giving substance. And, and the idea of taking that and and using that to cook the, the, the very 
child, if, if you will, yeah. that, that it was meant to, to, to give life to is abhorrent to God. You know, I think, I think yeah. it's against, that's unnatural is what God is saying. That's not the way things should be. You know, the way I created the world, that's not how it should go. So even things like that, I, I think, are, are meant to, to give us a picture, an image of, of what it is that God is concerned about, what he wants from us, from what he wants from his community and his people, those kind of things. So the law couldn't make us without condemnation because we, in the flesh, are unable to do this. Now, I would say Paul makes this point elsewhere that we prove this when we point to other people and say they're not doing what God has intended, and yet we do the same things. He would say that we are universally hypocrites, that mm-hmm. that we point to other people and say, look, at that point, you're breaking the law when we're doing the same things ourselves. So basically, Paul's saying we're all in the same boat. We're all unable to attain God's glory. We're all falling short of God's glory. So what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son Listen to this, in the likeness of the flesh, okay? And so the idea here is that, you know, this is why Jesus became, you know, the incarnation. This is why he became human, because he came and he lived in a way that was was in keeping with the law. As Hebrew writer says, he, he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's this idea. He sent his son in the likeness of the flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, that's interesting, because think about how that passage started. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus, because in Jesus, God condemned sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what he's interested in doing away with. It's not the law that he's doing away with, interestingly. What he's doing away with is sin. And in the flesh. In the flesh. Jesus came as a human being, lived a sinless life, and in this way then put the condemnation towards sin itself, okay? That's what's being done away with in in Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. In order that, this is verse 4, so he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the requirement of the law might be fully met in us. So again, this isn't salvation, but this is what makes it possible for us to have right relationship with God and then in turn right relationship with one another, Okay, it is because the law now has been fully met in us. Mm. When we live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, and we'll get to that perhaps in just a minute. But think about this: this is what justification is. I would say again, and I think that's what Wright's primary concern is. It's not the end in itself, but justification is saying, okay, in Christ, sin has been condemned, and if you are in Christ right? Then sin is, sin has been condemned. And now you have met the requirements of the law. Yes. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So you have done what is necessary in order to be right with God. And that, that's what I always say. This is the way I like to talk about it because it's not that there's anything wrong with these words, but these words have taken on meaning that we sometimes carry baggage along with it. Here's the thing. Well, I'll come back to this in a minute. Let me, let me finish my, th- let me finish <laughs> back in a minute, back in a minute. Yeah. Let me finish this thought and then I'll come back yeah. to, to the other. So this idea, what I, what I always say is that Christ accomplished for us, what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And that what he came to do is to make it possible for us to have right relationship again with God. Okay. And that right relationship with God is, I would say then the beginning 
uh, of what it means to be saved. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. and here's where the covenant part of this comes in, is then we then, in Christ, become a part of the covenant community. Paul would make the point that back earlier in Romans, he talks about the fact that the Gentiles do things that are completely opposed to to, to nature and to God, mm-hmm. right? He, he makes that point. But then he turns to the, to the, I think, the Jewish people that are they're listening, and there's debate about exactly, yeah, exactly what this who means. Paul's talking to. But he, he says, but you who call yourself a Jew... Right, do the same thing. You do the same things, and you, you point at them, and then this is what I'm talking about—the universal law of hypocrisy. Right? Yeah. So he's saying both of you in the law are condemned, and, and that's where we get up to in chapter four that whole statement about all Jew or Gentile. I think is, is is again the point: Jew or Gentile, all of you have fallen short of the glory of God. Right? And, and it's only in Christ and in what He has accomplished. This is where we get to chapter eight. Then this idea of justification. What he has accomplished because of his faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to law that he came and he did what he said he was going to do, his nature, even though he's flesh like we are, Hebrews says uh, he, he he had to be made like his brothers in every way, right? Yep. That that he's flesh like we are, yet he was faithful to God's purpose. He was faithful to the law, and, and therefore he has condemned sin. And if we are in him, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's through our trust in him, through our through our placing ourselves in relationship with him that now allows us to be considered to be law keepers. Mm. Okay? Yeah. So there's nothing now, there's no barrier, the separating thing that has kept us from being in right relationship with God, the rebellion, and the wages of that is death. That's why it's the law of sin and death, right? It's the mm-hmm. law that brought sin and death because of our actions. Because we are now in right relationship with him, that makes us able to be in right relationship with the community, right? And right. that's what it means to be a part of God's covenant community. We are now part of that community that is seeking then, and that that's not even the end of salvation, I would say, but God's covenant community is seeking to bring that right relationship to all things, whether it is other human beings or whether it is creation itself. The mm-hmm. brokenness and the fallenness of what happened because of our sin that we read about in the book of Genesis, and I always say there's four relationships that were broken there, but, but that brokenness now is being healed because of what Jesus has accomplished. And now we, as we carry on that work as his people, as his community, uh, we're continuing to heal those relationships. I probably should have talked about those broken relationships. We'll do that another time. So comments on that so far? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think the thing is, as as we're having this conversation is I keep thinking, how does this change how we sure. think? What, what does this change? Right. I think the number one main thing for me is I can remember as a kid, kind of the whole point of Christianity then became, and I don't like this language, but I'm going to use it. It became accepting Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was all about that decision, okay, mm-hmm. on our part. And then it's kind of like, okay, now what, right? Yeah. But I think if we see that not as the end of salvation, but as kind of the the initial stages, this is what allows us then to have right relationship with God, and that growing relationship is is going to continue for the rest of my life. It, it, it gives me a different perspective on that. It helps me see that the, the right relationship with God also makes it then possible for me to have right relationships with other people, and, and we have this growing community uh, of people of God who are then called to go out and to make a difference in the in the world around us. 
and even to the point of the healing of creation itself. And I don't, I don't want to get too, you know, new agey here or anything, but, but that we are called to be people who are seeking uh, healing within, within all things, right? In Christ, because of what he has accomplished. So justification, again, I think is at the end stage of salvation. It's not, again, the point at which the switch is flipped and, and we go from saved to unsaved, but it is what allows us to enter into a relationship with God that then uh, allows us to continue to be being made right. And, and that's why I said I was going to say this about according to the Spirit, because he goes on, he says, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then he goes on and he makes this huge contrast. That's the rest of uh, the first part of chapter 8 anyway. I'm gonna, just going to read the next few verses. This is 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. See that contrast between mm-hmm. flesh and Spirit? So your mind, you know, it, it's a renewing of the mind, as Paul says, right? And then we have verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, Mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So he goes on and basically says, after we have been made through Christ, through Christ's action and our trust in that, we have been made right with God, and then we begin to be led by God's spirit. Having that intimacy with God allows the Spirit of God, and, and Paul uses this language, and to me it's some of the most mysterious language that, that Paul uses, the very Spirit of God now lives within us. I'll point out here as well, you know, for, for N.T. Wright, the Trinitarian nature of this is very important, and it is for me too. I, I think that there's the sh- an ongoing work of the Spirit. I think the shape of the universe is Trinitarian. So here here is our relationship with God because of Christ, and now the Spirit leads us. You know, Paul uses, here's the mysterious word that he uses, he's, he indwells us. The Spirit of God lives in you and now begins to shape us. And I, I always say in three different ways at least. You know, here it talks about the mind, so the way we think is transformed by the Spirit and our desires, so our will is transformed. And then our actions, you know, the things that we do. Uh, so we can't please God. We can't do what's right without the Spirit of God now living and, and, and working within us is the way that I would I would see that. Uh, verse 9, here's, the, here's that language. You are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So you get what I'm saying? This isn't an option. It's not like, well, you know, I always say uh, the, the the fancy word for that spirit work is sanctification, that we're right. being made holy. And I, you know, I always say we can't say, well, yeah, I'll have a double dose of justification, but keep your sanctification to yourself. Paul says here, <laughs> what Paul says here is, you know, if the spirit of Christ isn't living in you, then you're not in Christ, right? He's saying that this is what it means. So again, I, I think that first statement, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is then, you, you know, Wright uses the metaphor sometimes of the opening up of a, of a flower, that it's a flowering. He kind of gives that initial stages, that, that initial comment, and then he begins to explain what he means by that. And I, that's where I think he sometimes is misunderstood. It's not a laying out of an argument point by point. But it's more, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to talk about now, guys. And then he gives us various aspects of that that kind of open it up and help us understand and, and, and fully appreciate what that means to have no, no condemnation 
right? Mm-hmm. Because we're in Christ Jesus. So that that's what I think is going on uh, here in this place. So you said, what does it change? The one thing I'll say is, as I do think there's still a courtroom metaphor here, and and that's what I was going to talk about earlier when I said I'll talk about this in a minute, is metaphor is a helpful, these are images, right? A metaphor simply means kind of an image that helps us to understand an aspect of, of something. So if I say God is a rock, that tells me something about his nature, that he's trustworthy, that he's foundational, that I can I can stand on him and, and be in solid ground, you know, all those kind of things. But metaphors always have a stage at which they break down. Right. Okay. Metaphors are always inexact, because <laughs> the only, you know, and, and it's funny, I don't want to get, too deep here, but it's the way that language functions. There are some people who think that language develops because of metaphors. If you ever had anything that was an exact description of something else, it wouldn't be a metaphor. It would just be saying, you know, right. this just is what it is. It. Yeah, that rock is a rock, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, so a metaphor is to describe, but the problem is sometimes we take it too far. And that's what I, I think Again, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I think that's what, what N.T. Wright is, is trying to say is this, yes, it's a courtroom metaphor that Paul's using. There's no question. Condemnation, justification, the idea of being justified is a, is a courtroom term, mm-hmm. but you know to be kind of declared not guilty. But if we take that too far, what Tom Wright is saying is that's not all that it is about our relationship with God. Our relationship with the creator God of the universe is a big enough thing that we probably need more than one way to talk about it. Right? Well, I, I'll give him that. <laughs> so the other part of it's relationship, right? It's it's not it's not only courtroom kind of being made right in a in a legal sense, if you will, legal status, which some of those early reformers were lawyers. I mean, that was what kind of the profession was. You you were trained in law, you were trained mm-hmm. in sacred law, and, and so they would kind of see the world through that lens, if you will. I don't think Wright is saying that this is wrong. I think he's saying we need to be careful not to take that too far. And again, you can imagine a lawyer wanting to say, you know, you've you've read contracts. You probably signed a contract mm-hmm, or two in your life. A couple. But but you know, a lawyer is very concerned with, okay, this is the point at which this happens. Right. Right. When we get to this stage, then this is what this party's responsible to do. It's a very legal way of of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And so the question of well, at what point is my status of being justified conferred on me you know at what right. stage do i now receive that and again it's a it's a metaphor that's useful to talk about that we stand condemned mm-hmm. and paul would say it's because of our rebellion against god that that puts us in a state the wages of sin is death you know because we've separated ourselves from the source of life we deserve death you know it's it's a death it's a death penalty to use that legal legal mm-hmm. language but there, there comes a point where there's also this idea of covenant that God has said, I've called this people to myself. I've chosen them a, a, as my people, and uh, I, I chose them, right? So right. It's, it's not a matter simply of saying, God, I have satisfied my end of the bargain. The conditions, and I'm, I'm – yes. Yes, and so, so I'm waiting for my you – know, what I receive. So I think that's the other aspect is that relational part of it, that God has been very concerned from the beginning about relationship. If you think about the Garden of Eden, it was about a relationship between God and and humanity, right? Adam and mm-hmm. Eve in that, at that point. They had intimacy. They walked together in the Garden. And, and because that was lost, 
you know, God was concerned to regain that. I will be their God and they will be my people, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. that, that repeated phrase we see throughout the Old Testament into the book of Revelation. That's what he wants. He wants us to be again in that, in that rightness. <laughs> well, I, I think for me, you know, I had this conversation a couple times back and forth in the sure. phone because you and I have phone calls and they're yeah. usually are like an hour long. <laughs> <laughs> we should record, the, we should record those and put those on a podcast sometime. Mm, well, <laughs> We have to be a little more editing sometimes. Okay, okay. Anyway, thinking about this a little bit differently, and, you know, I think pastorally, there's a sense of, like, we want to say to someone, you're in. And people want that. Like, it's like, I have this confidence, and I'm in, and I'm... I'm not discrediting the pastoral significance of, right. of, or, or the the desire to do that, but I think you know you and I talked about that. Is you know I talked about reading the book of James, you know, and I always yeah. felt like there's always this tension of like faith without works. Well, it's not works, and it's not you know like right. and rethinking about justification that it may mean something different opens that to kind of go. I see how James, which I believe is inspired fits in with Paul and what Paul's saying. And you and I talked about a little bit as just like the adventure of yes. following Christ. Yes. You know, that that it is not there's not just this light switch that's yeah. flipped and it's done and it's over with, but like there's this adventure that we're a part right. of. And another book that Tom Wright has written, The Day the Revolution Began. Yeah, but like right. that we're part of uh revolution like a ground force. Sure. You know what I mean? That our role is not just to earn salvation it's to bring his kingdom right right i understand what you mean and and i'll say you mentioned the book they the revolution began i'll mention also a a book by um will williman and stanley harawas that i've mentioned to you before this idea of resident aliens and they use the again it's a metaphor they use the metaphor of being colonies you know we're colonists yes and we're called to kind of colonize this alien planet you know that Mm -hmm. we're that we find ourselves on which is kind of a cool metaphor as well but yeah just to say that about james look down this is romans chapter 8 this is just a little bit later verse 12 therefore brothers and sisters we have an obligation not to the flesh to live according to it for if you live by the flesh you'll die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you'll live so I don't think there's ever been this strong contrast that Luther or others saw between, you know, the teachings of of James and and what we have here. Well, I'm not I'm not saying they did. <laughs> I'm saying maybe my experience of it sure. is is always this this there's no performance piece to it that right. we're saved by grace through faith. Sure, you know, and then and then when you get to something like James, where it's like. Hey, if you're not working, then is your yeah. faith real? Yeah, and and again, I think that's much more as we've said before. I think that's much more in other places of scripture, like like I'm saying, right here in the middle of Romans eight, which is this profound mm-hmm. celebration. Some people would say of of what God has done for us in Christ. There's this thing. Hey, you've got an obligation. <laughs> you know, you got a part in this. Here's the other thing I'll say. You when you talk about the implications, the way we look at the Old Testament law, as I mentioned as well. Again, these law people were looking at it. Well, here are the the obligations. But and you said this idea about pastorally sometimes our people are well. Am I in or am I out? You know, that, right. that's kind of the question. And and I think they kind of looked at the Old Testament law that way as well. This was you know in, this was a marker. You know, once you did this, then you were part of the kingdom. If you didn't do it, you were out of the kingdom. Uh, or I, I, they did, wouldn't use kingdom language, but you, yes. you understand what I'm saying. You're you're part of people of God. You're not part of the people of God. But again, I think it was much more of a, a, a description of here's what God's people are like. You know, here here's what we're like, and, and here's how we're different than others. 
than it than it is this kind of you know a, a list I, here my here's my to do list today you don't need to do a b c and d mm-hmm. it, it was much more like here's a description of what it is to be god's people here's what makes us distinct and different and i think that's still true today you know there's a way in which we are called to be the salt of the earth there's a way we're called to be a city set on a hill there's a way that peter says we don't rush into the same flood of dissipation that they do they look at us and they go you know why are they not doing the kind of things that we're doing and so this is more markers if you will almost of us being a part of the covenant people so right going back to my you know I'm not going against Luther, you know, you're saying that Luther and all this <laughs> right. that stuff. You know, maybe it's the reductionistic nature of sure. some of this that we've mm-hmm. got it down to a couple sayings that is maybe where my feelings are on sure. it. I, I think there's just more to it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a it's a bit more complex. And that's that's why I think I think any single metaphor is not going to completely capture everything about what happens. What what Christ did on the cross and what happens when we respond to that, I think, is a, is profound. I, I don't know that we could completely plumb the depths of it. It's it's it is deep. Yeah. So, so where should someone go from here? You know, like we've had this conversation. Where, where does someone go from here? Well, I think you begin to look at other parts of Scripture. You know, the way we read Paul is part of what's at stake here. I think how how do we understand him and what he's trying to do, what his call was, and, and again, I, I think begin to read Paul and notice the number of times he talks about relationship between Jews and Gentiles. I don't want us to see Paul saying the only point of God's plan was to make sure Jews and Gentiles were were united, but it's saying that this is a sign of the unfolding of God's plan that now all people, you know, which that's, that was the original covenant. God said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples, all families on earth will be blessed. And and that we now see that in Jesus. That's, I think, the other main point we sometimes miss. We, The number of times that Paul uses the words Christ Jesus or Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, is the way he usually says it, we kind of pass over that very quickly. But he's saying, I think, Jesus is that promised Messiah. He is that Christ that was promised in the Old Testament, that anointed king that was promised in the Old Testament. And God has worked this incredible thing through him in a way that we couldn't have imagined. That was beyond, you know, the, and that's where the whole thing, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has, has accomplished. The other part of that, I think, is Paul is is saying, you know, as a, as a Pharisaic Jewish rabbi, tra- you know, trained to be a rabbi, this was an amazing thing that God did in a way that we could not have imagined. And mm-hmm. it is nothing less than the fulfillment of the promise of the covenant that both Jews and Gentiles now are being gathered together into this great people. Right. And it's because of what God has accomplished in Christ. Yeah. That's what I always say. Like, oh, you want to know what Paul is saying? Just think of it this way. Jews, just because you're Jews doesn't mean you're in. Gentiles, <laughs> you're in, but don't think you're better than the Jews. You right. know what I mean? Like, th- there you go. There's most right. Paul's epistles. That's, right. that's reductionistic, right? That's everything. And that's, that, you do need to read them. That's kind of the, you know, that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say. The other thing I'll say is, is we have to read Paul. You know, it's the same thing we say about every book of the Bible. You need to read it within context. Mm-hmm. You, you need to look at the way that Romans 8, which is, it's, it is a beautiful chapter. I found this interesting is that in, in one of the readings that, that I've done where Wright's talking about this, he, he says one of the exercises he would do is he would ask his students when he's studying Pauline theology, what do you think is the center of Paul's thought? And, you know, it, it's hard to come to any one 
mm-hmm. point because there's so many different things that he is talking about. It's hard to, you know, it's, it'd be like you saying, well, what, you know, what, what is your one belief? You know, that kind of thing. But he said, he, you know, right went on to say these first four verses or so of Romans chapter eight have as good a claim as anything to be the center of Paul's thought that in Christ, God is justifying, condemning sin, but he's justifying those people who are part of God's, of his people, you know? And so, yeah, it's a beautiful piece of scripture, but even that, even Romans eight, don't just take it out and try to do something with it on its own, understand it within the overall context in Romans, probably more than anything, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have a, a very defined, uh, step-by-step kind of argument that Paul's laying out. We haven't talked about this, but one of the things about Paul's epistles is they are, we call them occasional language. And, and we don't mean that, well, they happen once in a while. Um, <laughs> occasional means that they were written to a specific occasion, typically. Right. So when Paul writes the book of Galatians, for example, there's a problem going on. There's a situation. And he's addressing that situation. Now, the hard thing about that, the interesting thing is, of course, that gives us when you begin to think about what that situation is and, and its relationship, it gives us a context in which to understand Paul's comments. But the difficult thing with an occasion, you know this, when we have, when you and I have a we conversation. Don't have, we only have one half of the conversation. We, and, and we have no idea, when we have a conversation, we have no idea where it's going to go, right? The uh, hashtag truth. <laughs> so, well, at least I don't. You're just over there. Oh, Ryan, we'll see how you, I make you look today. Yeah. No, I, but anyway, but anyway the, moving on. The whole point, the whole point of it is, yeah, we only get one part of the conversation, but then it's also, he's addressing a, a particular idea. So there's not, there's not a, opportunity for him to kind of say, well, this, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't lay it out that way. It's much more, I'm responding to this situation. My, my best example, that's Philemon, you know, the, in my opinion, the whole reason that the book of uh, Colossians and the book of Ephesians exist is because of the situation between Philemon and Onesimus. That was the situation that there was a problem between the slave owner and, and his slave and Paul addresses that, but in the meantime, he writes these other things. So taking that into consideration, again, it's the same thing we say about everything else. Understand the historical context, understand, I think, the specific context here, and, and then don't separate one part of that book from the rest of the book, you know, a few verses or whatever. Don't take them out of context. Yeah, It's, it's amazing to me how one definition of one word yeah. Yeah. has such ripple effects. Sure. Absolutely. And, and thinking through, and, you know, I think at one point you talked about that in, in your coursework, um, you were studying and you read a, a book, mm-hmm. you know, it, I think it was Tom Wright's book. Uh, yeah, New Testament People of God. And it was just like, it just opened everything sure. up, you know, it kind of synthesized all this together yeah. and it kind of opened up like, on this is how this goes together. Yeah. And so for me, reading uh, some of that work and thinking about the word justificational uh, differently is just like it opens up sure. some things to go. Wow, this is this yeah. is much more interesting. <laughs> and I, it, not that it wasn't interesting before, yeah. but you know, I, I see it in a new light, and I see see myself and right. my role in the kingdom. Sure, differently. That's what I think. I do think it is much more adventurous. It gives us something to do. You know, the, the kind of the old. It's almost a parody now, but you know the idea of saved and saved to sit. You know, we we accept Christ, we go through the baptistry, and then we sit in the pew till we die. It's like well, I wish I would wait a little while or something, you know. But but no, it's it's uh, you know I could have done a lot more stuff. 
that's and that's exactly the and, and that's the point that's exactly the wrong way to look at it instead i look like wow i've been brought into this kingdom that has the that is really the way we're supposed to live that is really right. good true life you know life right. more abundant to use a john term and now i have the task of carrying that with me and and making it a reality in right. in my family in my life in my home my community and you know in my world and, and when you separate that from sure the, you know when, when you make it a be saved and sit thing yeah you, you you rob it of the abundance that it is here's the other thing and this is this is going to be maybe a little bit more controversial i can't believe i'm saying this oh boy but exactly here we go this but, is the very end of this episode well yeah <laughs> it, it, it's it this is i think what obsessed me so much about the way that u.s christians respond to politics today too is we have made our particular political perspective the driving force about the way things it should be. When we talked about worldview, we said mm-hmm. one of the questions we ask is, what's the problem? What's the solution? Right. And as American Christians, often we have taken our political parties and their response to that as our answer when I think that there is, and I'll say a much bigger and more profound answer in the kingdom of God, that God has responded to this idea about what relationships are supposed to be like, what communities are supposed to be like, what families are supposed to be like. He has given us this idea, and the politics of this is to live out uh, kingdom life mm-hmm. and, and to express that. So, Yeah, and that was in that book, Resident Aliens, where it Resident says, like, aliens. let's quit, quit yeah. trying to legislate the world to look like what we think the kingdom is to make ourselves comfortable and feel good about it, but let us go out and be the kingdom and be the kingdom in, in this world. And that's a very I'm going to use use a, the, a theological term that's a very Anabaptist approach to this. You know, a, a group of Christians a long time ago who didn't who weren't a part of the Reformation, but they were responding to the scriptures first of all, but then the community they found themselves in was they were persecuted and they were oppressed. And so they found themselves having to live this kingdom life in a different way. And they're very much about community very much about you know living out the kingdom perspective in a realistic way, and and, and Stanley Hauerwas that we've mentioned was influenced by uh, a person who was raised within an Anabaptist tradition, and uh, there are other people. The who's the guy that wrote the book Jesus is King? Yeah, you have no idea. Never mind. Kanye West. No, Didn't that was not Jesus him. Is King album? That's not him. But I think this idea of Anabaptist influence is one that we see in what I'm saying here. So yeah, very good. Well, that was a long conversation. It was good. Good. Yeah, it was good to, to chat about this. And yeah. um, I think there's some some great things for all of us to to think about and think through and also our call and what yes. we're, we're, who we're called to How be. we live. Yeah, I think that's right. Very good. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I are talking about the theology of God. We talk about who God is and what we can know about him. We hope you'll join us for that. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch, but also to get some exclusive content, like the Blue Letter Bible tutorial video, which will be going out this week. But you will only receive it if you are signed up to the newsletter, so make sure you go to thebiblebistro.com and sign up for that. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.